0: Welcome to a special birthday edition, my birthday specifically, of Housing After Dark. We're honored to have Inaugural Bay Area Housing Finance Authority Director Kate Hartley in our virtual studio. Now, I'm a houser through and through, but I've spent the past 15 years studying regional government in the Bay Area. It's very exciting to see housing getting more and more attention at the regional level and more and more support from local governments who realize that we can only do certain housing things effectively, things like housing finance, when we do them together and at scale. I think you will all enjoy this conversation, which includes everything from how Kate got to this point in her career, to where we are all hopefully going with this new agency, one way which we can all call by its initials, BAFA. Awesome. Kate Hartley, welcome to the 10 a.m. on a sunny Friday morning in California version of Housing After Dark. (laughs) It's uh, fantastic to finally have you here.
1: Thank you, Alex. It's great to be here.
0: Um, So really excited to talk uh, about the Bay Area Housing Finance Agency, or BAFA. I really like that. That aspirate H, I think, is really important. Housers, we should have chosen a better first letter if we wanted a little bit more recognition, but BAFA, not B-A-F-A, B-A-H-F-A. Um, but before we dive into this historic regional agency project building project that you are engaged in, I wanted to start with you. This is a housing podcast or uh, for Housers, uh, by Housers, uh, often about Housers. Um, And you've had an interesting journey to get to this point. I remember when I saw the news that you had been appointed, I was very excited and not surprised because the one thing I had known about you was the housing accelerator fund, which seemed to be the perfect training ground to be able to do something like this. Uh, so tell us a little bit, like how, how did Kate Hartley become a Hauser and how did you get to this point?
1: Yeah. Um, thank you. I got to be a Hauser. Um, First of all, by my love of cities. I, I I thrive in cities, I love them. Um, So I'm very happily living here in the Bay Area. But I uh, was in graduate school at Berkeley and I was in an academic program um, in the Jurisprudence and Social Policy Program at Berkeley Law. And I was studying legal history and One of the really amazing things about that program was that you could take classes anywhere in the university. It was really wide open. And so I kept finding myself in Worcester Hall, um, that, you know, big concrete hulk of a building and taking theories of urban planning classes, which had nothing to do with my legal history program. I just loved the classes so much. And so it finally dawned on me that I was Doing the wrong thing, studying legal history, which I was completely bored with and didn't like at all, and so I um, quit my program and went out and, uh, while I was waitressing, got a job as a file clerk for Rick Holiday and Nancy Holiday at Holiday Development. Um, Nancy and I uh, were both swimmers on the masters team at, at Cal, and I happened to mention my you know, identity crisis. And she's like, well, I have a an admin job if you want to come and check it out. And then, you know, that was it. So um, it was an amazing job uh, working for Rick and Nancy. We did the adaptive reuse work um, south market that he really pioneered there. And I loved it. And he was a very generous boss and allowed me to moonlight uh, one year um and I worked with the Asian women's shelter um, as kind of a side job to help them find a new shelter. Sadly, they needed a, a larger shelter in San Francisco and we had to uh, do all of that work confidentially, um, the sales transactions. So uh, we did it and that was it. I was hooked. So Um, I went off to do affordable housing development at the San Francisco Housing Development Corporation. Uh, Michael Simmons was my first boss, an amazing, amazing person and developer and friend to this day. And then, you know, one thing led to another. Um, I worked in the public sector. Uh, I went to the California Housing Partnership Corporation with Matt Schwartz, another amazing boss, and Richard Mandel. Um, to learn the money, because, you know, it's really about the money. (laughs) And um, next thing you know, fast forward, went to the San Francisco Mayor's Office of Housing and as a deputy director, and then became the director in 2017 to to 2019. And so that was a a really amazing job um, appointed by Ed Lee. So, you know, it it was very hard to lose him. But after that, in 2019, I went to the Housing Accelerator Fund because Rebecca Foster, another great boss, was um, doing this amazing work, and I really wanted to be part of that. And uh, it was fantastic, and we succeeded in our mission to do something different for homeless housing development. And when this job opened up, I thought, you know, public sector, nonprofit, for-profit, the money... Someone's got to do it. It might as well be me.
0: <laughs> well, that's an amazing story. It's it's uh, always fascinating. I hear Rick Holliday's name so many times. If anybody's ever read my interview with Charmaine Curtis, another legend in the business and her origin stories, I think she will have similar things to say about um, yeah, particular type of, kind of innovation that Rick was doing, and I think openness as well. There's a lot of women who've come through the business uh, that spent time there. And I don't know. There's, there's always a the question of who the first white man is uh, guest is going to be on Housing After Dark. And I think maybe Rick Holiday will, if you're listening, Rick Holiday, n- this is an invitation in the future. I don't know if he will be the first, but, uh, it'd be good to have you. Uh, yeah. And it's, uh, it's always great. I mean, a lot of, I think a lot of my listeners and a lot of us have spent time in Worcester Hall. It's, a uh, it has been and historically a very important piece, um, of how we got here. And, Uh, And actually we'll talk a little bit, um, you know, at at some point uh, about all of that legacy, including BART, which is an idea that really had its origin stories in a lot of ways uh, with Mel Weber and various folks uh, at DCRP and Worcester. So it's just, um, it's an important legacy, one that I obviously take really seriously. It's something I also think it's important to hold the current generation of Worcester Hall residents accountable for, but kind of continuing that work and meeting the challenges um, that we have in the Bay Area.
1: And if nothing else, you got to go and pay homage to Kat- the bust of Catherine Bauer.
0: Yeah, so if Housers don't know, there's a statue of Catherine Bauer in what is now Catherine ba- Bauer Worcester Hall. Uh, this is the best name change ever because all they did is have to add the name that they should have had in the first place. No, That's right. <laughs> no shame on William Worcester. I'm sure he was a plenty fine architect, but he couldn't hold a candle to his wife um when i was a phd student and i like needed a moment of solace i went and like chilled in that library with her my computer was named Catherine bauer like and it was like not a very like spiritual a religious person and i was certainly like you know raised in a tribe that don't worship idols but like that <laughs> that statue brought me solace uh in hard times
1: this is great you'll be glad to know um ben metcalf asked me to do a class recently um at at, um cal for one of his one of his housing um, programs and so i did a deck and the opening slide on the deck was a big picture of Catherine bauer (laughs) i was like people pay your respects
0: yeah so houses if you need that moment of peace i really recommend (laughs) the bauer worcester library and the statue inside so that's actually, I mean, this is actually a perfect way as well of like taking a step back and talking about BOFA, And and I wanted to start with, you know, helping people understand sort of what BOFA is and in particular kind of how it fits in with the rest of the regional government uh, work. There's a, if, for those again, who are, have your, your Worcester and Berkeley connections uh, and you like reading older books about the Bay Area, there's a very well-known book at that time by a planner named Mel Scott um, called the re- history, regional history of the Bay Area or something like that, 1958, I think. By this time, we've been trying to create regional government for 50 years and not succeeding. And he has this statement in there that I've always that's always stuck with me, and I think it might be in The Road to Resegregation God at this point. I, I don't remember what's in my own book. He talks a little bit about how the Bay Area has always really struggled to build regionalism because it struggles to build regional citizens. Ah, uh, the people might, you know, and again, the way I interpret it, people really identify with the Yay area. People love the bay. But when it comes to this like level of supporting regional agencies, we've always really struggled. Um, and some of that is that i I think we struggle even to understand it. I don't know if anybody there's there's anybody here with a California public education who learned about regional government in elementary school or high school. yo shout out at me. Uh, you probably were in Y Plan. Uh, and if you weren't in Y Plan, I want to know like who taught you about regional government. So since we have this moment, like can you give us a little bit of understanding about like what the regional agencies are and then like how Balfa as a regional agency fits into that?
1: So BAFA is embedded in um MTC ABAC. So I'll start at the end of the story. Um, <clears throat> but it's a good, it's a good place to end. Um, And then as you're describing, Alex, you know, we have we have many regional agencies. We actually have regional governance, but it's it's um, sort of authority and impact throughout the region has been spotty and, you know, there are continued challenges. So you know, the first really big regional agency was the Bay Area Council, business sponsored, public advocacy, the Bay Area Air Quality Management District followed. People were concerned about air pollution um, after the Bay Bridge and the Golden Gate Bridge opened and we were, you know, shifting into a peacetime economy. And then ABAG started the Association of Bay Area Governments in 1961, um, a joint powers authority and it was really this land use planning entity and it had so much promise Um, and it still is doing amazing things but you know there's so much that is regional and so much that we share everything from um, open space design and use to transportation to um, the airports that was under the um, an airport plan was part of the original a bag portfolio to earthquake mitigation, and we saw that um, really play out when the Bay Bridge went down in um, 1989. And then, you know, so here ABAG is going along quite well, and then um, the Metropolitan Transportation Commission started in 19 in the early 1970s. But there's this kind of coalescing of activity. And then in when Prop 13 passed in 78 and then Reagan came into office in the 80s, um, there was this sharp drop in funding available to cities. And you need that city critical mass to make regionalism work. You know, you need a sense of common goal and common uh, interest. And if the money's not there, then it's hard to be, Visionary and optimistic and generous with you know your views on how we as a region should move forward. So that that pretty dramatically cut the the scope of ABAG's work. In the meantime, MTC was moving forward because as a federally designated transportation agency, they had access to federal funds for transportation projects. So that kind of really shaped the the ongoing future. Um, but ABAG. ABAG was very uh, creative in those days too. Um, it started, you know, sort of service work like um, ABAG Power. You know, this idea like let's let's purchase, let's do pooled um, green energy purchasing for cities. Amazing! That's what that's the kind of work that we should be doing. Exactly, pooled insurance. We get better rates if we all come together and pool our resources. ABAG was doing that kind of work, fantastic, and then the regional housing needs assessment work, and then other regional agencies have arisen over time, more single purpose, like the um, Bay Conservation and Development Commission, the San Francisco Bay Trail, the San Francisco Estuary Project, which is part of ABAG, BayREN, which does really great energy efficiency work. But then ABAG and MTC joined because of all these overlapping goals and mission and studies and research and um, product they're putting out in 2017. And then here comes BAFA in 2019. (laughs) And so we now have this agency with this sort of like start and stop history. But here we are together, ABAG, MTC, and BAFA. And it's really the trifecta of a healthy, vibrant Bay Area, because it's mobility, housing, and the environment. And that is something super exciting for me. And I know my colleagues, because you can't leave one of those things out for a healthy Bay Area. You have to have the trifecta in place. And that's what we're trying to do now with BAFA and MTCA Bank.
0: Thank you so much for that. Um, It's really, it's great to be able to sort of put the contemporary moment in the buffet in that context. Um, you know, I know one of the challenges, I think, for a lot of planners and folks who sort of see the power and potential of regionalism historically. And again, this is a lot of this stuff and the and the sort of the good, bad and the ugly of Barry regionalism is in Chapter six of the road to resegregation. You know, there has been a tendency at times, I think, for some advocates for regionalism to sort of imagine it as the magical Level of governance, and if we just had regional government, everything would be okay. Because look, transportation is regional, and air is regional. Air pollution is regional, and that's why we have these agencies. And the bay is regional. Um, And what I like to what I like about the current moment is I feel like we're doing a better job of helping people understand the role that regional government can play alongside the role that state government and the national government. It can't be a substitute for those folks not doing their job and it's not a substitute for local government and it's also not an authority, right? You know, you have BART and you have East Bay Regional Parks District and all these sub-regional organizations that are regional in nature. But again, it, they're in some ways more of mutualism. And I think that, you know, they are, they, are, they are membership organizations in many ways of all these local governments supported by the state and federal government to do things together that are more efficient and better done together. And I think it's, what well, yeah, if you are, you know, if you're a planner at the local level, you're a hauser at the local level, if you're a candidate for local office or you're listening and you're on a local office, I think one of the most profound things you can do right now is to just really help your constituents and your colleagues and your fellow members understand, you know, what regional agencies are, what they can be, what they can do, and how sort of, yeah, you can be a participant and kind of get lots of really great membership benefits out of that. It's been, uh, in one case I'm thinking about in one part of the Bay Area, it's just been really frustrating to... To watch one city sort of treat regional governments as if it's some like you know if it's the state coming in and mandating thing, and that's just sort of not how it works. Um, and there's just so much I think we can get from from this if we ch- shift a little bit. I think our attitude.
1: Yeah, you know I agree with that. And um, one thing that's been amazing for me personally in this new job is the having the opportunity to get out to all nine counties and talk to elected officials and housing staff and civic organizations and, um, residents who want more affordable housing and to really, really understand in a much deeper way, the diversity of the Bay Area. And it's amazing to me that the people who crafted the enabling legislation at the state, um, for BAFA, and of course, David Chu, uh, such a great advocate and carried it, baked into our enabling legislation is an acknowledgement of that diversity. And so we have the power to raise funds regionally, which is so much more effective than each city and each county trying to pursue very sort of uh, resource intensive housing development on their own. But within that framework, the different counties can um, craft expenditure plans for their money in ways that fit them. So there's, it's not a top-down direction of you must build this. It's let's come together, let's raise the resources we all need. And then you take the resources back to your county and figure out what makes sense for you and your residents. And it's really just a great um, example of regionalism done well, because you have a mutuality of goal, but you preserve the diversity of implementation.
0: I wanna get deeper into the weeds about like what BAFA hopes to do in the future, but let's do a little step back and sort of help people understand uh, how BAFA came to be and and then what BAFA actually is right now. And I think this is something I really want to emphasize to get people to understand of BAFA as a currently existing thing. Doorway exists, which we'll talk about. Uh, there's work being done on housing preservation already that's really important. You're already starting to do work around tenant protections that I think is really important. And again, even if they are shoestring budgets and it's small, it's real, it's an agency, it exists, and we need to think about it in, in the present. But let's take a step back. I want to just, again, so, uh, since we're shouting at David Chu, so BAFA is the origins of BAFA are, are even earlier, right? I think and we're going to give some Gita Rao a little bit of a shout out and love from the Enterprise Community Partners. Uh, I know that there's a piece of the story that involves the CASA process and BAFA coming, kind of coming out as an idea to do that eventually becomes enabling legislation uh, authored by David Chu in 2019 was when it actually passed, which... The state gave permission to the nine counties to create the agency and to put it into MTC, And then that, and from there, we sort of started to build uh, an agency with su- various types of public and private and not-for-profit support that is necessary. You know, If you started a company or a nonprofit organization and you thought it was really hard, try starting a regional agency where you have to get permission from like a million people in order to be able to do this. And nobody wants to give you any money. Uh, I think, I think if I, you know, not to create hierarchies, but like between startup nonprofit and starting a regional agency, I'm going to put the t- that the last one as the harder one. Um, but yeah. So how did, like, for you, what are some of the key moments that like, how did you get here? And then can you give us a sense a little bit more about what BAFA is doing now? So I'm glad you mentioned Gita. Gita
1: Rao, she works for Enterprise Community Partners um, with her colleague, Heather Hood. And I really attribute so much of BAFA's existence to Gita sitting around going, you know, this housing thing in the Bay Area, we're not doing a good job. <laughs> and saying, you know, really like sometimes you, you have these moments of clarity and you say to yourself, I'm energetic. I I have a little time. I'm I want to start something different. And that's pretty much what Gita and Heather and Enterprise did. They wrote a paper called The Elephant in the Region. You know, this idea of we're working so hard to provide affordable housing in a better way and we're not achieving it why aren't we talking about what, what we could do differently? And they convened a, a group of people to come together and brainstorm. And they put together a trip to New York City because New York City has the Housing Development Corporation, which started in the 70s uh, and is a really strong, important source of affordable housing finance for New York City. In fact, they I was just telling my board this yesterday. <laughs> Uh, they started in the '70s with their first bond issuance was about $130 million, and they are dedicated to financing affordable housing. Um, in, between 2017 and 2022, the Housing Development Corporation uh, financed in each year somewhere between $1.5 billion and $2.7 billion in for projects in the city. That's that's not in the aggregate. That's each year. That's how much money they're putting out the door, and then over time, because they are so strong, they uh, take in interest on their loans and they put it back into the projects that they finance. So, again, between 2017 and 2022, they put between 100 million and 325 million in subsidies into their projects uh, annually. So, it's a strong. Entity and they looked at that. Heather and Gita looked at that and said, "Well, we we could do something. If you look at the Bay Area as a whole, we have a similar population to New York City. Let's do it. It's it's systems change, and we need to do things differently." So this work and brainstorming and the writing of their paper coincided with uh, MTC convening the committee to house the Bay Area, also known as CASA, in twenty. 20- 19, as a result of difficult negotiations, it wasn't an easy process. It was diverse stakeholders um, from all across the Bay Area, and everybody very interested in housing, but with different agendas. But they were able to um, produce a 10-point compact, the CASA Compact. And one of those points was Um, that we need to raise about a $1.5 billion a year in housing uh, finance for affordable housing. And the other was to do that, we need a regional finance agency. So David Chu um, took that CASA Compact very seriously. And uh, with his leadership, BAFA passed the state legislature. And we are this um, public entity that has the power to raise funds. And we work in collaboration with all the nine counties um, in order to achieve these goals of delivering affordable housing throughout the Bay Area better. And um, so we were all set, BAFA was all set to uh, go out with a general obligation bond measure in 2020 uh, we were derailed by COVID in that effort. And so we laid dormant a little bit. Um, but then in 2021, these, you know, BAFA supporters and stakeholders and my colleagues at MTC and ABAG uh, succeeded in getting a grant from the state surplus at that time of $20 million to operationalize BAFA. Um, they really, uh, you know, we have, there's so many dedicated people working on this and they kept that faith and vision alive and um, with that grant from the state we have we operationalized last year we now have a myself and there's five other full-time staff and we have a great fellow uh, through partnership for the bays future fund and uh, so it's our mighty team of seven (laughs) but working within um, mtc and abac so we have this fantastic opportunity to leverage, for example, the fantastic work that the, um, the housing and local planning group at MTCABAG does throughout the region in technical assistance, helping all the jurisdictions with their housing elements. We're working with the regional um, planning and policy department on helping get pre-development money into new large priority sites projects for
0: construction and that's something new that wasn't done before to me historically again as somebody who's probably spent too much time at 50,000 feet watching the history of barrier originalism now playing out in real time in some ways i think it's maybe it was a blessing that that we are that you know it didn't happen in 2020 and that it's being aimed at 2024 i think the team is just much stronger not just the fact that BAFA is something real, and there's more time for people to learn to understand it, but having folks like Heather Peters and Daniel Saver on the team, and just kind of the the talent is uh, is is strong. And I think people again are trying. Like, I think people have an opportunity to see the agency as a real thing that is already trying to do important things in the region and that when we ask you to really stand it up and fund it radically we're asking you to stand up something that is already existing not something that is just a dream and a fantasy in the in the future and i think that's really important again you you're in a position that you wouldn't have been in uh had we had this run in 2020 and i'm a lot more confident in our ability to build a, a successful campaign uh in 2024 and do all the other things that i think that we need to do besides the big money but yeah, let's talk a little bit again before we get into this kind of big money dream, um, which hopefully will become a reality. Yeah, what are the things that Bafa has been able to do with that state funding and other support and funding from other uh, parts of the Bay Area to be able to stand up kind of impacts in housing right now?
1: Definitely, shout out to Daniel Saber who really kept the Bafa dream alive <laughs> between twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty two and. And as you said, um, the fact that all this work in mtc bag on regional housing elements was going on when BAFA kind of opened its doors officially has been so beneficial because it really does bring together the resources and uh, goals and vision of Plan Bay Area 2050. And and it's it's been really so gratifying to work with Daniel and Heather and, and their colleagues. But um, we... We hit the ground running. You know, we feel this urgency. We do not, like, we're not wasting time. With Daniel's help and the help of my other colleagues and this seed money that we got, we have these pilots that we uh, just launched right into when we started in 2022. So the first is the Doorway Housing Portal. And that is an online affordable housing application portal. So that if you, Alex, are looking for affordable housing in the Bay Area, you might live in, say, Cloverdale, but you just got a new job in Gilroy. And that's a drive, but you need to find housing. The vision is you can go online and you can look up affordable housing opportunities in Gilroy and every place else in the Bay Area and apply for those from your smartphone or your computer. And that is so different than how things work now. San Francisco is the early um, model of this uh, capacity. They started an online application portal uh, in 2016 or so, and it's working great. It's called Dahlia. That's what we're basing our system on, but we're going nine-county wide. But except for San Francisco, and then there are also... um, Uh, early efforts in Alameda County, San Mateo, and San Jose, but otherwise you have to go building by building and call people and apply. Sometimes it's paper applications. It's just so laborious. And the people who get those opportunities, who succeed in getting the housing are the people who have time and perseverance, and it's inequitable. And our goal long-term for Doorway is to create this equitable system where everybody who's looking for housing goes online, they apply, it's easy, and then you can um, find the affordable housing that you need in that way. So we had a soft launch of our portal in, um, on June 29th, we got some amazing assistance From google.org, we had a team of fellows that helped us with the design of the portal and they were just really tremendous. By this time next year, we'll have full application capacity. And we're now at the point where we're doing outreach and working with jurisdictions all over the Bay Area to get their affordable housing opportunities um, into the program. Um, So that's doorway. And then we also have as one of our pilots, uh, preservation. And housing preservation is a couple things. The goal of that is to try to prevent or stem the displacement of low income people from the apartment buildings where they live, because the rent goes up, and you can't afford it anymore and we've seen this migration quite starkly since starting in like 2013 or 2014 lots of movement in from San Francisco, Oakland, San Jose into outlying areas where the rent's cheaper and it's just a function of rents going up near job centers it's it's really damaging to communities to families with preservation community-based organizations with funding from the public sector can buy buildings and then convert them into permanently affordable housing and stabilize the residents and prevent displacements. Uh, It's also, there also are many affordable developments that were financed 30 years ago with old bonds and those bonds are expiring now. And when they expire overnight, a person's rent can double. And usually that means displacement. So with preservation funding, a developer can can uh, extend the affordability in that building or a new developer can come in and buy the building and preserve the, the housing. We have two things going. One is that we're about to get a small amount of money, but still it's important, uh, $15 million from the state from a grant called the Regional Early Action Planning or REAP 2.0. And we're going to do this preservation funding with community-based organizations. And a portion of that funds will reserve for community land trusts. And those uh, community land trust organizations are trying to create a whole different, like, ownership structure, um, which is interesting and um, uh, really cool to understand and watch. But... um, And and then we also started up a new program called the Welfare Tax Exemption Preservation Program. And this is like, well, what do you do when you don't have a budget? (laughs) There are some developments out there that can convert to permanent affordable housing with one form of governmental assistance alone. And that is if you give them the, if you help them secure a, a break on the property taxes they pay, in exchange for leasing the units to low-income people. The property tax is called the this property tax exemptions program that the state has in its revenue and taxation code is called the welfare tax exemption. And so we've worked so far on the conversion of five buildings to affordable housing through this tax exemption process. And the number of units is over 350 that we've assisted. And uh, we're working with a developer right now, which I hope we can bring into the program um, on a 200-unit building. So it can be a really powerful tool. And um, BAFA is able to participate in this process by virtue of putting a deed restriction on the housing and making sure that the units are rented to low-income people. The other pilots that we have are aimed at homelessness prevention and, uh, again, creating systems where people aren't displaced from their homes. So we're doing two things. Um, We're starting a, a rental assistance program for seniors, and it's very compelling because right now the fastest growing cohort of people who become homeless are people age 70 and over? And these are people who've worked their whole lives, but they ran out of their savings, their spouse or rent paying roommate dies, they have a major health issue, and there's no safety net, and they become homeless. It's it's kind of shocking. And so we're going to give straight-up rental assistance, five to eight hundred dollars per month to extremely low-income seniors who are who are housed now, but who are on the brink of becoming homeless and thereby keep them in their homes. Um, So that we're really excited about that. And we're also going into all courthouses uh, across all nine counties to gather data on evictions, because right now we don't have a comprehensive database about exactly who's getting evicted, why they're getting evicted, where and when, and if we have that data, we'll be able to uh, create better eviction prevention programs. For example, if it's all just, you know, you can't pay the rent anymore, then a rental a broader rental subsidy program may be indicated. If it's there's landlord disputes where uh, legal representation would help, then that's a different area. But we need to know what is driving the bulk of evictions? And then finally, our last pilot is our pipeline study, and that is just a full, and again, we did this with Enterprise Community Partners, a full analysis of all the developments in progress in the Bay Area that are um, in what we call pre-development. They're in some stage of getting ready for construction, but they haven't received all the money that they need to actually break ground. So we have that study for 2022, we're updating it for 2023. And this is just a really good planning tool for us and all the jurisdictions to know what's coming up, what's on deck, how much money do these projects need, and how are we gonna allocate our resources to get them into construction? So that's what we're doing today. But then there's the bond.
0: <laughs> so hold on just one second. We're going to get to the bond. If you're not taking notes, you can go to Boffa's website. All these kinds of things are going to be listed in the podcast. Before anybody wants to sort of critique the organization for trying to do too many things, this is so essential that we have this broad approach. I've written a lot about complete housing organizations, you know, groups that are able to sort of recognize that you got to work on the level of data infrastructure. If you don't believe me, there's a sub stack about data infrastructure. And if you really don't believe me, listen to episode two of Housing after dark with council member courtney welsh where she talks about as a young mother in a very housing insecure situation going waitlist to waitlist to waitlist like that system is insane and it doesn't matter how much affordable housing that we build if we don't have a system to really help connect the people who need the housing to the housing itself we have too many units that sit empty for too long because we don't have that system Uh, and i think it's just so important that you're doing it um the preservation work also again i appreciate production is super important that's what the bond is mostly about by state law uh but working with one of my favorite clients i love all my clients canal alliance in San Rafael, right Marin county represent you're talking about lots of low-income people living in very old buildings that need a ton of work paying already too high rent and constantly at the threat of eviction and losing their house these are these built like There's no housing solution for the canal that does not involve somehow figuring out a way to preserve those buildings. No matter how much new housing or new affordable housing you're able to build, if you go to the neighborhood, there's not a lot of space to build new things if you don't wanna displace people from their actual community. And preservation is so hard to do, it's so hard to do well. Uh, And sadly, partly because of the way we've set up affordable housing programs in the past, we have this expiring use problem where kind of constantly having to reinvent the wheel on the same buildings. Hopefully we're gonna start to learn about how to do that so we don't have to kind of constantly face this crisis. But I just love the breadth that BAFA has been able to achieve with, again, a relatively limited budget uh, in, in a situation where seemingly everybody who has an idea about the housing crisis has one idea that they want to bang on endlessly and they want you to do their one thing. The fact that you've been able to do all of these things. And I feel like, you know, I will defend its coherence until the end of time. This is so important and I just really Shout out to to the folks who are doing it. And shout out to folks like Mayor Jesse Araguin in Berkeley, who has been such an important ally to BAFA. He's the mayor of a city. And there's a Chronicle article that a lot of people are sharing about the transformation in Berkeley that Mayor Araguin has been central to. But I think it's great that he's really recognized how important this is. And I'm hoping that the example that he's showing to all the other hundred jurisdictions in the Bay Area, is like, hey, listen, I'm a mayor of a city. I, you know, local control is important in some ways but this agency is important. And you know this can help us build a pathway towards more housing if in particular, there is some more money. Let's get to the big thing at the end, the big pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that we are perhaps going for. So there's a proposal, an idea to fund BRAFA properly uh, with a historic bond, a nine county bond uh, between ten and twenty billion dollars, I am correct. Uh, that would be on the twenty twenty four ballot. So, give us a little sense of where the bond process is at, and then kind of what the state mandated and sort of you know what the what the rules will be uh, in terms of like how people get. The money and what it can go for.
1: So we've been working really hard on providing information and developing the the programs and the understanding throughout the Bay Area about what what this bond is and how how we all together will be implementing it. So yes, ten to twenty billion. We got approval from our governing boards, BAFAs. We have full um, representation. In terms of governance throughout the Bay Area, so our board, our boards are the ABAG Executive Board and the BAFa Board, which is the same composition as the MTC Commission. In any event, we have great support. Jesse Arreguin, as you said, Alex, is a fantastic supporter, and the money raised is a, its an ad valorem property tax. Property owners around the Bay will pay to. Raise these funds, and in there's this it's a shared sense of responsibility to create more housing. 80% of the funds that we raise go back to the county of origin based on assessed value. And the counties working with their cities will decide how to spend the money. There are some basic rules in our enabling legislation about how that money should be spent. They're pretty minimalist, but for sure, at least. 52% of the money has to be spent on new construction. And this is because we have a housing shortage. 15% of the money has to be spent on those preservation projects like the Canal Alliance projects that you were talking about. And then there's a good chunk of funds, 28% for the cities and counties that's just flexible. So it can be used on housing related uses, more housing, home ownership, down payment assistance for um, low and moderate income households. There's a lot of flexibility there. And then 5% of the money is for tenant protections. And this is something that's really important. Um, There's a parallel effort underway, both at the state legislature and by housing stakeholders across the state to amend the Constitution to lower the voter threshold for general obligation housing bonds from two thirds, which is a very difficult standard to reach. In fact, Berkeley's housing measure failed last year because it got over 60% of the vote, but not 66.6 to 55% or simple majority. But also it would allow this amendment seeks to allow a slight expansion of how we can use our funds so that we can actually address homelessness. Because right now you can't use general obligation bond funds per the California constitution to provide things like rental assistance, to provide supports for those seniors age 70 who are on the brink of homelessness. So we would like to change that. And if we can change that, then 5% of BAFA's money would go to tenant protections. Um, BAFA retains 20% of the funds And that will allow us to invest throughout the Bay Area, to advance innovative projects, to try to lower construction costs. It's really important. We know we can do it. And to create this regional finance agency that um, can start reinvesting proceeds from our loans into community.
0: Well, thanks so much for that uh, update. And there'll be lots of information um, on this podcast website about it's the bay area housing for all i believe is the campaign Baha. okay in case you just you know i never want to leave out the finance but it's just baha you're seeing organizations groups uh from around all nine counties uh starting to rally the troops for this kind of historic uh coming together in a lot of ways um i'm excited for the campaign, as much as I am excited for the outcome, I think it's one of those things where there's sometimes where things can really bring people together across a lot of different areas. Again, there are a lot of the divisions in our internal to our housing advocacy world that are some things that I try to address and bring folks together. I think we'll get a lot of support across those divisions within this. Um, it's an important thing. Again, we're just using bond money, uh, which is money that we borrow essentially collectively, pay for both by property owners and by property renters because property owners pass, out, pass on the cost of property taxes to the property renter. So all of us are really essentially, you know, we're saying, hey, we're gonna borrow from the future to be able to pay for things that we need to do right now. And we're confident that this is going to help us in all kinds of ways. One of the things that I'm hoping that you know we can do as we move forward in this campaign is, is do some studies that that show as well like how the money can be leveraged. Because to me, the 80% is just the local direct return. It means you have direct local control over that 80%. It doesn't mean you're not getting potential access to the 100%. And it doesn't mean that that money can't be leveraged with other sorts of money uh, especially in smaller jurisdictions. Again, I'm doing a lot of work in Marin County. There isn't a single jurisdiction in Marin County that is really large enough to be able to do the kinds of things that BAFA can be able to do. And so I am convinced that the return on investment to Marin County of that dollar that they would put in uh, to support the bond is going to be a dollar fifty. it's going to be $2, it's going to be $3. I'm sure there's a number that some of my, you know, better quantity number friends could come up with as an estimate, uh, but it's just going to be, can be profound in terms of like how this can change. And I think BAFA can also be at the sort of the center of innovation of really kind of helping create these blended capital pools that enable us to do, whether it's buyouts and preservations or investments in new financing, so that the actual number of dollars that come out of this is much greater than whatever that we're borrowing uh, officially from the future. Which gets us to the final kind of question here, uh, which is beyond the bond, right? You wake up and grind already on a lot of like very difficult, small details. But when you have that time and that headspace and you think about the future, this future where BAFA is fully stood up and fully funded and operating uh, in this situation, what are the types of innovation or the types of programs or the things that you really hope uh, that it will ultimately be able to do? Even if it's not the kind of thing that even just the bond will enable, but it's 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 something that, you know, a North Star that keeps you moving forward. Besides the dream I think that we all share, which is that everybody is better housed. Are there specific innovations and challenges that you hope to be able to, to address in the future?
1: We need to lower the construction costs and we know we can do it. Um, and we can do it through streamlining. We have this very, very young factory built housing industry that can grow and evolve and improve. And if we can bring together efficient financing through BAFA and and our evolution into a strong financial entity that can reinvest and lend at the same time, and we can have really simplified entitlement processes and building processes, and then bring in new technologies with good high living wages for the workers and bring it all together and instead of paying a million dollars a unit which we are paying in some cases right now including for studios for affordable housing we bring that down more like 500 we double our output and we have safe decent housing at a high level that is the dream come true so um I'm hoping we can get there soon.
0: <laughs> I, I love it. I'm sure Rick Holiday. maybe this mention of modular will be another reason why you get, get you to come on the podcast. We will definitely be doing a Housing After Dark uh, episode on modular. Shout out to all my modular folks. Uh, it's really great to hear. I, I'm also really excited. There's so many things about Batha or what it can be. I, mean, I think that the other thing that I that I hope listeners take away is that we have a tendency, a very long tendency in the Bay Area, and I think this is something that happens around the country as well of like, you know, we build a piece of infrastructure, and then the minute that it comes out, we kind of hop off the bandwagon and we start critiquing. It happened with BART famously. BART launches in 1977, 1980, there's the, t- the tube fire, ridership is down. Everybody's like, BART is a failure, BART is a failure, BART is a failure. It set us back so far on BART expansion, on the full dream. And that it took part decades to recover from that sort of everybody hopping off the bandwagon. Uh, And I, I see that tendency already. You know, people will go on to doorway today and be like, it's not exactly what I want. And it's not perfect. And it doesn't do the thing that I need. And it's like, please, like lean in and, you know, offer that feedback. Stay patient. Tell your organization or your group to like, you know, help help BAFA build Doorway right. But Doorway ultimately is a partnership. If housing providers aren't leaning in fully and coming up with innovative ways to use it and build it, if the social workers and housing counselors are not finding out new ways of using it and owning it, and it's, it's not going to work. Uh, and the same thing is with BAFA. And so if you're concerned, if you're a skeptic, if you want BAFA to do something that it's not currently doing, then lean in, become an ally, help us build this thing uh and again that doesn't mean you can't make constructive criticisms along the way but it's a it's an attitude that i think that it's really important we don't ask enough about what something could become we always look at what it is and then we make critiques about what it is and i think that's one of the things that's been holding us back in the barrier for a really long time and it's why i had to write a book about like we've had really amazing ideas forever including modular and everything almost every good idea has except for maybe bafa and gitas i you know other than that, most of the other good ideas we've had since before most of us were born. But what we struggle to implement things because I think of this tendency to not support. So I'm excited. Like, for instance, I want Bafa to be a real centerpiece of the multifamily home ownership revolution. Community land trusts, which you're already supporting, are a form of home ownership That's actually got to be central to Bafa. Like, you know, I think you mentioned uh, the modular dream. and there's so many other aspects of what it can be common. I'm just excited you're doing it. I, I I appreciate the time and the energy and the fact that you are you are doing this. And the other thing for folks to know is that if you're not in the Bay Area, uh, the exciting the most exciting thing I think both about Bafa and for Bafa is that Bafa is no longer alone. So there is now Los Angeles has uh, an affordable housing finance agency, LA County, that is step up. And if you're like they only do the county, well, LA County is the size of the Bay Area, so it's 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 plenty big. And Nancy Skinner, on her, that's one of her final acts, is attempting to create some enabling legislation that will make it easier for other regions in the state of California to do this. So, hopefully, five years down the line, BAFA has a lot of fellow cohorts, and it really helps the state come up with some structures to really channel some of its funding through regional agencies. And again, the challenge there becomes how do we do regional housing finance in the North state? How do we do regional housing finance in areas that do not have an MTC or an ABAG or a SCAG or a SANDAG? And so if you're a regional nerd and you turned in, this is one of the great challenges of regionalism is making sure that the benefits of regionalism can extend to all Californians in all 58 counties, even if they don't live in a place that has the sort of technical capacity. We have a radical inequality between the capacity that MTC and ABAG has. Uh, and if you just go over the Altamont Pass, uh, you'll see organizations, you know, the local governments are struggling because they just don't have that. But there are ways that we can do it and we can make a different type of regionalism for everybody. Our friends up in Siskiyou are not going to have the same kind of regionalism. They don't want the same kind of regionalism, but there are forms of regionalism that can help up in the North state. And there's some really good folks up there that I think see it that way uh, and can make these things happen. Kate Hartley, thank you for your work. Thank you for being on Housing After Dark.
1: Thank you for your work, Alex. I really appreciate it. This was a great opportunity. And I really enjoyed the discussion.
0: All right. Thank you so much, everyone.